Proverbs 30, verse number 24 is where we pick up tonight. Uh, we're going then through verse number 28 and look at this next section. If you remember, I said here in this chapter, we have six different groups of four each, each group pertaining to a different subject. Verse 24, there be four things which are little upon the earth, but they are exceeding wise. The ants are a people not strong, yet they prepare their meat in the summer. The conies are but feeble folk, yet they make their houses uh, in the rocks. The locusts have no king, yet go they forth, all of them, by bands. The spider take hold, taketh hold with her hands and is in king's palaces. Um, I think I already mentioned the fact that this is one of my favorite sections of Scripture. And the reason that it is, because well over 40 years ago, I guess the first time was probably 50 years ago now, uh, I'd prepared a series of messages uh, about about uh, God's animals, and uh, we used it at a vacation Bible school every year for several different years. And uh, each time we taught, uh, taught from this section of, of Scripture, and it's something, you know, the kids could really relate to, and, and you know, not just to entertain them, but something that is of great importance. And so, uh, so I enjoyed that, seeing what they could get out of it. But... This is not just for kids. This this is for all of us. And every single one of us can learn something from these things here. Now, looking back to the uh, the last section, verse 21, 22, and 23, we learn there the importance of not getting things out of their proper order. Because when things get out of the proper order, well, there are going to be problems. And so that's what it... Uh, talked about there but now he's reminding us uh, of the great need for wisdom and uh, he gives us four teachers here in this section uh, four small weak but great teachers if we we'll learn the lesson and uh, these little creatures can teach us big lessons notice verse 24 how it begins there be four things which are little upon the earth but they are exceeding wise. Now notice here that uh, the, the animals all here are said to be exceeding wise, which reminds me of what Jesus said over in the book of Matthew where he said, Be ye wise as serpents. And then back in Proverbs chapter 4 and verse number 7 where Solomon said, Wisdom is the principal thing. Therefore, get wisdom and with all of thy getting, get understanding. Now, if it's the principal thing, that's kind of like saying it's on top of the list, don't you think? And then when he says, with all of thy getting, in other words, there's effort involved in that. We don't get wisdom by osmosis. You know, it's not just something that seeps through the pores of your skin and, you know, you go to bed one night and wake up the next morning with wisdom. It's something that takes effort on our part. And he says, with all... Thy getting with all, putting all of your effort into it, as it were, 
get understanding. And of course, James gives us the promise, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God, which giveth liberally and upbraideth not. So wisdom is available. Wisdom is greatly needed. But the sad thing is a lot of folks really don't see the need for wisdom beyond what they at least think they have. And here in our text, it tells us one of the ways that that this can be done, that is getting wisdom, uh, and that's by observing these tiny creatures. Oftentimes, I've referred to Romans chapter 1 and verse number 20, I believe it is, where he talks about the visible things of, of this world testifying to things that are invisible. And uh, he's appealing to nature, telling us that nature teaches us important truths about spiritual things, things that we can't see. And so much so that he concludes that it leaves people without excuse. Now, that's no, that's no substitute for the gospel, by the way, but that is a general revelation of God, from God to man. And that is God revealing himself to the extent uh, that, that we're without excuse. And that's why the Bible says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. I've often talked about sleeping in the backyard, you know, and looking up in the sky at night. And I'd never gone to church. We didn't have a Bible in the house anywhere that I knew of and uh, didn't know anything about the Bible. But just something told me there's got to be some kind of a God or something going on here. Because, you know, I just couldn't believe all of this stuff could just happen. Uh, I guess I wasn't educated enough to believe that. And sometimes, you know, we just educate ourselves into ignorance, don't we? And that's what happens in a lot of our major universities today. Take some fine young boy or girl, you know, raised in a Christian home, and they go off to a secular university, and they come back all messed up. So... Now, before we consider the specifics of this, I, I just want you to think about some general lessons that we could learn from this. And no doubt there are many more, but uh, I just I just thought of three things that immediately came to my mind. Number one, whenever we look at this, we learn to admire and appreciate God's wisdom and God's power. We learn to to appreciate and acknowledge God's power and His wisdom. And uh, I, I, that's true anywhere you go in the Bible, but it's really true whenever you think about nature. Secondly, we learn to not neglect nor despise lessons that can be learned from little things, things that are small, seemingly insignificant, and yet there's a lesson there for us. And number three, to consider the needs in our life. And, and that's, you know, that's the great importance of, of, of wisdom because we all have needs. I'm not talking about, you know, just our physical needs or material needs. I'm talking about spiritual needs and, and, and needs related to uh, how we deal with others. And the list goes on and on and on. And when we look at these things, we can learn something about all of those things because here we find things uh, set forth in, in principles, 
so to speak. And each one of these little animals is going to teach us a certain principle that will be beneficial in our life. So with that in mind, look at verse 25, and we see the very first thing that's mentioned. He says, notice, the ants are a people not strong, yet they prepare their meat in the summer. Well, some of you will remember back in chapter number 6, we studied this in great detail there. And, uh, you know, he appealed to the lowly ant uh, to instruct the sluggard, you know, the person that wouldn't work. And in these verses, we learn that ants are self-motivated and that they prepare their meat in the summer. And, and every person ought to be you know, that wise, to be self-motivated. We can't always just depend on other people to take us by the hand and lead us and help us and what have you. We ought to be self-motivated and we ought to be concerned enough to make proper preparation. But you think about ants and the fact that they're great builders. Naturally, you know, we don't see uh, all that they do, there, you know, there some have these ant farms and what have you in an aquarium type thing, whatever you call that, where you can observe the ants and and so forth. But uh, whenever you think about different parts of the world and the different kinds of ants there are, and there's some, you know, they build their big structure several feet above the ground, and they live in colonies and they live with order. And the colony, of course, has a queen and the workers, the soldiers, and so forth. Each one is assigned a specific function uh, to carry out. And all of them have the welfare of the colony in mind. Here in Texas, we know a little bit about fire ants, don't we? And we know they will protect their own. We know that, you know, they're going to protect uh, uh, their home base. And they unite. And, you know, you don't just get one fire ant attacking you. I mean, they just absolutely cover you up if they can. And they prepare their food in the summer. Now, uh, just observing the ants, you know, and uh, sitting out in the backyard somewhere and watching them go to and fro, helder-skelder, and in our mind, it, 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 you know, it, it just looks like uh, that they're totally unorganized. They don't know where they're going or what they're doing or anything else. But, of course, they, you know, they know exactly where they're going. And it's amazing. It's amazing what they can do in, in just a short time. And all of that, all of that is with the intent of making preparation and boy, that's an area where so many people fail in making preparation. We, you know, they end up getting themselves in a, in a jam all because they didn't prepare properly. I, I'm, I'm not a, I'm not a very good one to talk about saving money because I, I'll just confess I've, I've never been as disciplined as I ought to be in that regards. But uh, we would be wise if we do save what we can. Now, I realize you can go to the extreme on that. There are some people you know that they've been saving all of their life. You know, good for them. Uh, you know, that's a good thing. But you can go to the extreme on it to where you neglect the immediate needs of yourself or of other people just because you're so worried about the future you're trying to build up a nest egg and this is where balance comes into the picture 
And you know, that's true in just about every single area of our life. We can get in the ditch on this side of the road, or we can get in the ditch on that side of the road, and we need to stay in the center of the road. And, you know, just because you go to the extreme in one area doesn't give you the right to condemn the person that's in the ditch on the other side of the road. But the whole point of it is that God has promised to supply our needs, right? If we seek first the kingdom of God, you know, in his righteousness, he promised that he would. Uh, uh, to the Philippians, Paul said there, but my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory. But that's not just a blanket promise given blindly to all people. Uh, that's given to people that were very gracious, very generous in their giving to Paul and to the ministry. And as a result of their love for the Lord and their contribution to the Lord, they could depend on the fact that God's going to take care of me. You know, we take care of his business, he'll take care of us. But I've known people, I've talked to them, I've listened to them as they express their belief that I don't need to worry about anything because God's going to supply all of my needs. And the problem is they have absolutely or make no effort whatsoever to do the things that they should. I'm not talking about rebellion against God in the sense that they drop out of church and rob a bank or do something horrible. That's not what I mean. But I mean they just neglect the principles of God's Word. For example, when the Bible says if a man won't work, neither shall he eat. And, and there, there are people, you know, that can't hold a job down and simply because they will not work. Uh, you know, they want a paycheck and they, they want the benefits of the job, but they don't really want to apply themselves. And there are other people that will take what they've got and waste it on frivolous things, just, you know, just blowing their money and then expect God to turn around and supply their needs. I got news for you. You know, he's probably not going to do it. I mean, you, you just take your money out here and throw it away. You waste your life. Uh, you can expect that you're going to reap what you sow. You're going to suffer as a result of that. We ought to learn from the little ant to make proper preparation. And that could be applied to a lot of things other than money. But we need to prepare. Uh, that will be true of us as individuals or a church or, or our, our home and so forth, but in all areas of our life. Well, the second animal, look at verse number 26. He says, The conies are but a feeble folk, yet make they their houses in the rocks. Now, when we talked about the ant, that talked about preparation, but obviously here... This has to do with the matter of protection. Now, there's been a running debate for many years among the so-called Bible scholars as to what animal is being referred to here. Some claim it's a rabbit. Some say it's a, a, what is known as a cliff badger. And, and some say it's this and some that. It really doesn't make one bit of difference. We don't know a whole lot about this particular animal, but the people back in that day did. It was something indigenous to that area. And they were very familiar with what Solomon was saying here. The point is the same. It's a small, timid, weak creature that makes its home in the rocks. When we moved to Texas, I was, uh, 
I was surprised about several different things. For one thing, I thought when we get down to Texas, we're going to see coyotes running all over the place because we got a lot of coyotes up in Missouri. And I'll tell you, I can count on one hand all the coyotes I've seen since I've been in Texas. I, you just almost never see them. But up in Missouri, we had groundhogs. I'm, there's groundhogs everywhere up there and jackrabbits and down here, I've never seen a jackrabbit down here. You, you out in West Texas, I know there's some, but uh, but there's no groundhogs. And I know something about groundhogs because uh, whenever I was a boy, that was one of my favorite things to eat was a young groundhog. They're better than rabbit, better than squirrel, better than beef, better than pork. Uh, they're they're great. And Dad made shoestrings out of out of the hide, so I know something about them. And I know, I, I know how they act and how, you know, they've, they've got a hole in the ground and, uh, you know, whether a rock pile or whatever it is and they know right where that's at. And boy, uh, you make a noise or something and that's exactly where their head, uh, they head. They're seeking security. Well, here we find a little animal in that part of the world that does the same thing. Notice it says they're a feeble folk. Now that means that they're not able to defend themselves. And in this world that we live in, there are a lot of enemies, whether you're a little animal or whether you're a two-legged creature. There are enemies of different sorts. And so being feeble, not able to fight back, uh, they hide themselves. Uh, and uh, it teaches us the importance of protection. Uh, homeowners purchase insurance. Uh, at least they should, you know. Uh, or that would be my suggestion. Maybe I'll put it that way. Uh, that you have insurance because there could be a fire, there could be a flood, there could be a tornado and in Texas. It could be all three, and all three happen in the same week. You just don't never know. Uh, but we also need to take steps, you know, to be safe in our homes. I, I just the other day I, I was uh, I was out doing something and had to stop and pick up something, and I walked by and saw a fire extinguisher, and it just dawned on me since the flood, we we don't have a fire extinguisher any longer, and so. I, I bought two little fire extinguishers, the kind you use in the kitchen, the kind you use other places. But uh, but it's a matter of protection. Uh, you know, we have an alarm at our house. Most I probably most of you have an alarm at your house. You can turn that on. Somebody opened the door. You got an alarm that sounds off. It's just smart to protect those things that are value uh, of value to you. You see. More than anything, however, we need to understand the importance of making proper preparation for our protection in regards to spiritual things. And I'm afraid we drop the ball a lot of times there. We totally neglect what Paul said in Ephesians 6 about taking the whole armor of God. Boy, this is a dangerous world that we live in. In fact, we are faced with an invisible foe that is much stronger than we are. And, uh, and it, whenever you get to talking about Satan, it's, you know, I know there's a lot of jokes about the devil, but Flip Wilson talking about how the devil made me do it and all of these jokes, but it's no joking matter. Satan is just as real as God is. 
and he's he's evil and he's deceptive and he is out to destroy every single person sitting here tonight. He would like nothing better than to ruin you and to ruin your family and to ruin this church. And that's why we need to be wise enough to make preparation that we'll be safe. And here's a little animal, whether it's a rabbit, a groundhog, whatever it is, you know, that is smart enough to know that if a coyote comes along, I better have a place to go. I better have a place of safety. And thank God for us, we've got Jesus, the rock of ages, amen, and we can depend upon him. And, uh, and and we, we, we better keep doing that throughout the course of our lives, not just the moment of salvation when we know we're going to heaven, but we need to live every day of our life dependent upon his protection because that's the battle against the devil is a battle you're not going to win without him. Thank God he said, you know, greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. So we have, we have a force within us, the Spirit of God, that is greater than the forces against us. Well, verse number 27 now, we go to the third little animal that's mentioned, and that's the locust. Uh, you know, we've, we've talked about the matter of providing uh, for ourselves shelter and safety, but, but here I think it's the, the theme shifts to that of partnership and and it'll be obvious as we read this the locusts have no king no head honcho nobody in charge nobody you know making the rules they have no king yet they go forth all of them by bands you know it's it's so amazing how much truth can be captured in just a few words and that's the power of a proverb because it captures, it captures a, you know, a, a ton of truth in just very few words. And here we learn several lessons. Here, here's a, a little animal. The particular one in that part of the world was about three inches long. And, uh, and you think something three inches long and, and something so fragile and what have you. How in the world could we learn anything from a creature like that. Another thing about the locusts is that they they preferred to live a solitary life. That's, you know, given the choice, and I haven't interviewed one, but I'm telling you what the, you know, the the animal experts tell us that, you know, that, that that's what they would prefer because they're very shy. They want to be alone. They don't want to be around anyone. But due to the need for survival, they become social creatures. Now, th- I want you to think about that a little while. Because, you know, I've heard people say, well, you know, I'm a Christian and I love the Lord as much as anybody, but I just don't see any need in the church. Besides, you know, they usually add this, besides there are just too many hypocrites in the church. And, you know, I can, I can just stay home and worship God just as well as you can worship uh, there in the church. And so they pretend that they don't need the Lord's church. And it's a very grave mistake on their part. To think that way because we really do need one another now thinking about the locust that would prefer to be uh, alone and yet out of need becoming a social creature tells me 
that their temperament is changed or transformed to do the opposite of what their old nature wants to do. So out of survival, they're going to do something they wouldn't normally prefer to do, but something that's the best for them. I am just trying to find out a little bit more about the locusts in that part of the world. I run across this true story. 1889 is when it happened. And there was a swarm of locusts that covered 2,000 square miles that crossed the Red Sea. They estimated the weight to be 500,000 tons consisting of 250 billion locusts. I mean, that's just mind-boggling. That just, you know, turns the sky dark. Uh, There are so many of them. And here in the text that we just read, the emphasis is on on them cooperating one with the other, although they have no leader. You know, nobody's saying, you get over here and you get over there and you, you know, you kind of go this way and I'll go that way. They have no leader, but but yet they're unified. And uh, as individuals, they would be weak, but together they're like a mighty army. Let me tell you, that's exactly how the church is. That, you know, separately we are weak. Together we are strong. And it teaches us the need for organization. They don't just go helter-skelter all in their own way. One going north and, you know, 10,000 goes north and 10,000 goes south or whatever. There's organization. There's cooperation. There's unity. And that's exactly the way it ought to be in the Lord's church. As Solomon taught, you know, there in Ecclesiastes where he says two are better than one. And not only are two better than one, but three is better than two. And he could have carried that out naturally. And so when we think about the church, we think about the strength that we derive one from another. Our strength is, you know, it doesn't just all come from, uh, from Sunday school and the worship service just doesn't all come from the teaching of God's Word. There is a strength that we gain from being, uh, together in the Lord's house, worshiping the Lord. And I remember back years ago, we and nearly every Baptist church always had a lot of testimony meetings. And uh, especially on Wednesday night, you know, we'd take 10 or 15 minutes for uh, testimonies. And it's amazing how the testimony of somebody else can be a strength in your own life. And, And every Christian has a testimony of some sort, and not only that, but our testimonies change all of the time because there's new things going on in our life. And, you know, it might be somebody's going through a great difficulty in their life and they're not, they're not going to sit down and tell you about it. They're not going to describe the trauma they've been subjected to. They're not going to go into detail about the pressure they're under. They're going to tell you their business. But it might be they're going through exactly what you went through and they hear you. Maybe with tears in your eyes say, I just want to share with you folks something. You know, the other day I was going through this horrible situation. I didn't know what in the world I was going to do. I was scared to death. 
and so forth. And I, I, I just really prayed and God answered my prayer. You, you see, we get strength one from another and we get strength as we work together, not just the worship, but the working together is so good. You know, whether it was back whenever we had our Bible conference or, or, or maybe it might be whenever we have our fall festival or whatever activity it is, you know, to see people working together because, uh, that has a way of drawing us closer one to another and making the church as a whole a lot stronger than it was. One of the best ways, I think, to really understand this concept of partnership is to study all of the one another statements that's found in the New Testament. I, uh, on several different occasions, I've, I've taught a series of, I don't know, 15 or 20 messages in the series and, uh, of all of the places where we find those words, one another, pray for one another, you know, forgive one another. And the list goes on and on and on. And it makes a great Bible study. You might want to, might want to do that as your daily devotion sometime and spend two or three days on just one of those thinking about one another this and one another that. And, and, and it'll, it'll, it'll show us better how to function with each other. Well, verse 28 brings us down to the last little critter on this list, the spider. And, uh, you know, you ladies might not like this one, but uh, I, I, I've never really understood why people are so afraid of spiders. I don't want to get spider bit, but, you know, they're usually rather easy to get rid of. The spider taketh hold with her hands and is in king's palaces. Now, again, some of these brilliant Bible scholars that want to question everything and, and complicate everything, there are a lot of them, they, they claim this is a lizard, not a spider. And, but I, I've, I've, you know, I've studied and looked into the Hebrew word and uh, I've looked in Thompson's uh, uh, land in the Bible and everything I could find on it. And there's no reason to believe this isn't a spider. I mean, that's what it says right here. It says a spider. And I, I'm confident that the translators of the King James Bible knew exactly what they were talking about whenever they mentioned the spider. And as much as they're feared, as much as they're disliked, boy, you have to admit their persistence is amazing. And that's the principle here, the principle of persistence. And you can't hardly keep them out. You know, you can caulk all of the windows and seal all of the cracks and put strips on the bottom of the doors and do everything imaginable and... Uh, and before you know it, there's a cobweb here and a cobweb there, and 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 you you just can't keep them out, regardless of how hard we try. They find a way in, uh, and and, and no, notice what he alludes to here. Even in the in the palace of the king, here a little tiny weak spider, and yet they manage to get in the palace of the king. Why? Because they don't give up. They don't give up. I, I mean, they just keep at it until they accomplish what it is they're trying to do. And uh, th there's a big lesson there for us, folks, because it's not the person with the most talent that always succeeds. 
you know, sometimes we look at somebody and think, oh, well, you know, they, uh, they got to where they are just because of their God-given ability or, or, or whatever. Well, maybe they did and maybe they didn't. It might be they just worked harder than you did. You know, that can have a lot to do with it. They were persistent. Somebody that just will not quit. Somebody that won't give in. First uh, Corinthians fifteen fifty eight, where he says, Therefore be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And that ought to be our attitude. We, we, we've got to persist in this thing of serving the Lord because it's going to be always something trying to deter you. There'll be something come along that, you know, you're having the best day of your life, and there might be some little thing that, a little petty thing that doesn't amount to a hill of beans, and yet you let that nag at you and bother you, and all of a sudden you get down in the dumps and you're discouraged, and and before you know it, you start neglecting your responsibilities. Uh, You say, yeah, but life is so difficult. Have you ever thought about how difficult life is for spiders? I mean, nobody likes a spider. The whole world's against a spider. Everybody hates them and try to get rid of them. But they just don't give up. They're still here after all of these years. And and even though the, the work that they do is repetitious, it's resented, they just keep going. Even when their work is destroyed... How many times have you tore a cobweb down and uh, the next day or something you look up there in the corner and, and it's back again. They just don't give up. That's the way we ought to be because there are going to be times that we suffer setbacks. You know, I think every person here would love to see the church growing by leaps and bounds. Uh, I mean, the building's so full that all of a sudden we had to have a special meeting with our deacons and our trustees, say, okay, guys, we got to get some plans going. we got to get a new building up. Oh, we'd all love to see that. But it's not always that way. You know, there are seasons where we, uh, there are seasons where we sow and seasons where we reap. And we've got to be careful that we don't let the the hard times discourage us to the point that we neglect our responsibility and rob ourselves of what would be the good times. So don't give up. There's going to be times maybe problems in the church and people leaving and different things that might happen. Don't give up. Don't give up. Whatever you don't give up. Uh, God's work is too important. Your family is too important. Your life is too important for you to quit because it's difficult. You stay in there and God will reward your persistence. And so uh, let's learn from these four little creatures, these principles that will help us to be better servants. Next week, Lord willing, we'll pick up in verse number 29 there be three things which go well, yea, four are comely in going. And he's talking here about four things that we would call stately. You'll see what I mean when we go on the very first one, verse 30, a lion. Uh, we're talking about, the, you know, the king of the beast, the lions, things that are stately. And there's some lessons that we can learn from them also. Okay, anybody have a word, a comment, uh, something maybe we forgot to mention, uh, announcement that